Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Next Space broadcast brought to you by Reflex Aerospace. And today, let's take a look at space from a venture capitalistic perspective. And our guest for the day is Maxim Shkwaruk, uh, who is the managing director of Atlas Ventures, currently based in Singapore. And they are uh, an early stage fund that focuses on the Southeast Asia markets, and they are as of now, focusing on the areas of interactive media, privacy and security, B2B SaaS, enterprise tech, and so on and so forth. So welcome to the podcast, Maxim. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a, it's a great pleasure to discuss such an interesting and intriguing topic as space and space tech. Yep, yep. Looking forward. We also have Ivan Kosenkov, uh, who's part of the business development team, joining us from Reflex Aerospace. And we together are going to approach um, uh, the topic of looking at space from a venture capital front from two different vantage points. So the first vantage point is going to be uh, a venture capital fund investing directly into space technology or space technology companies. And the second, which is my personal favorite, is going to be a VC fund that's actually using space technology and it, its applications. Uh, towards internal fund management or making decisions or seeking out new startups or, uh, uh, you know, things like this. So let's start with my personal favorite, the second one, the more intriguing topic. So Maxim, space is currently not a sector that you are invested in, right? It's mostly like wellness, e-commerce and uh, cybersecurity that companies which are in your portfolio. So what really made you think of space imagery or space technology at all? In the first place yeah yeah it's a, it's a good question so we you're right that we haven't made uh, an investment in space tech yet uh we are in our second fund right now so the first fund as you rightly mentioned is mostly focused on mostly b2b tech uh like but we also had a lot of wellness e-commerce cybersecurity things but wasn't really specifically deep tech uh, uh, as a fund. The second fund that we're currently in the process of, of finalizing will be more deep tech fund. So we'll focus and invest in more hard things. Uh, and space tech is definitely on the agenda. Um, so what uh, we like about that is obviously it's one of those topics that is really, really tough to uh, pass by. Right? There's a lot of articles, like a lot of hype is around this this area. Uh, the space economy is huge. It's already 400 billion. It's going to be 1 trillion at some point of time based on multiple sources. I mean, we all trust investment banks from the US, right? So probably going to be trillion. And then if you look just the sheer number of things happening, right? It's number of launches, for example, you'll see that it's a 10x gross um, in 10 years. So it's a, it's a huge industry and VC is just starting to catch up. Right. And uh, $6 billion in deals in last year. It's probably going to be less this year, but uh, it's, it's, it's a clear indication that it has a lot of interest from the VCs. We are as a Southeast Asian focused fund uh, started to look into this, but Southeast Asia as a region in terms of VC is probably like 10 years behind US and Europe when it comes to all tech. So space is just getting started. And uh, obviously now it's predominantly led by governments as everywhere else, but we all we start seeing some, some companies in the space. We see company like New Space in Singapore, like Spectral, also in Singapore, a couple of others 
that are focusing on summer applications, um, like uh, like mostly on connectivity, right? Uh, issues in Southeast Asia because this is one of the areas that is still highly underdeveloped. So this is a fascinating topic for us. Uh, we're looking into many applications of of space tech. Uh, a lot of interesting, you know, applications and in intersection of space tech and artificial intelligence and location intelligence. A lot of things happening. And uh, so we just can't really pass by. So uh, we believe that we'll make one or two bets in the space tech for the second fund. Uh, and hopefully those companies will be in Southeast Asia. Okay, that's, uh, that's, that's very interesting that now that you mentioned about the intersection of other technology and space technology, uh, especially since you've invested in a bunch of companies related to uh, cybersecurity, you know, developing software solutions and yep. uh, different models for cybersecurity. So is that what kind of triggered your whole, uh, you know, thought process of considering space applications? Because when we talk about, you know, connectivity, cybersecurity, then a lot of quantum and then crypto, all these things coming to picture and they kind of, you know, can be linked to SATCOM constellations uh, and yeah. making everything yeah. quantum proof, I don't know, in 10, 20 or 30 years. Yeah. So is that the direction you got? Uh, you were yeah, that's at? that's one area. Of course, we we looked at. So we made a couple of bets on, uh, in cybersecurity, post quantum and post quantum cryptography is one thing that is is getting more and more popular. Uh, and we looked at uh, you know a couple of companies that specifically look into the post quantum cryptography for satellites. Obviously, super secretive, super, like ex-DOD guys, like all this. I mean, I'm talking about the American companies. I'm talking about Israeli companies uh, that are looking into this. This is a very fascinating area, but super hard to invest in as a, as a VC. Because there are a lot of things going on between the company and the government. And as a VC, we do not want to be that highly regulated. Right? So this is one thing that you know prevents venture prevents space tech from getting a lot of vc attention is just regulation which is insane right you have to go through and, and jump over a lot of hoops just to make that happen in order to invest in us as a for example as a singaporean fund we have to go through the cfus uh, regulation um, a special law that is preventing foreigners to buy a significant stake in American companies, especially when those companies pose some is a, is a double usage, uh, double usage sort of application, like for both defense and military and non-military uh, cases. So it is tough, especially so cybersecurity for satellites, super tough space. I've seen some companies, but I would prefer to kind of stay away uh, for some time. We uh, mostly look at um, companies that, are sort of enablers, right, for us. Say, I mean, we'll probably talk about this in a, uh, uh, going forward, but uh, there are companies that help us to do our due diligence. Uh, companies that help, they're using satellite images that help to assess ESG and, and climate scores for our companies. And this is getting more and more like important for us. Our LPs come from Europe um, and mostly from Germany and Switzerland. And climate tech is on the agenda. And they ask us a lot about that. So how you do this? Is there companies that you guys can invest that can help you? So this actually was a meeting uh, one in Munich with one of our LPs that actually specifically asked about satellites 
and the way to, uh, you know, make uh, climate assessment more accurate. It's like, is this something you guys are looking into? Um, we, even if we didn't look at this, right at the point of our conversation, I started looking into this. <laughs> you can't say, you can't say no to your LP. Uh, so that's, uh, so yeah, I know what the answer to your question, but, but yeah, that's what we're kind of looking into. Yeah, absolutely. You did. I mean, there's a couple of follow-up questions that I'm sure Ivan is sure. like very, really interested to jump on. Yeah. Like with, with, with the follow like for, for me, the follow-up question with, uh, especially with, uh, this, uh, Southeast Asia, uh, thing is like, uh, I, uh, I'm sure that, you know, Maxim, that, uh, Singapore, holds like third uh, place on uh, private investment into space tech. So um, when I when I first saw this uh, figure, I was a bit amazed. It was, it was surprising to me. Uh, okay. Like, uh, do you know what, what, what are their activities, uh, like investment activities okay. in Singapore? Like what, uh, okay. who invests in what? in uh, Singapore, uh, in, in space tech. Right. Well, yeah. So that's like, okay. It's, it's a good, it's a good question in general about Singapore and Southeast Asia. So when you see that Singapore is taking a leading role, uh, say in terms of number of companies, number of say unicorns in Singapore, I'll get to your question, but just, just to set the context, it's because a lot of companies are just, are just incorporated in Singapore. Right. Mm. They do have other businesses around like the world, like Southeast Asia, India, like a big region, right? Like of South Asia. But they're just incorporated in Singapore because of English law and because of, you know, banking and other things. So this number could be skewed by that, by that thing in terms of, okay. but obviously Singapore benefits from this big way because when you incorporate a Singaporean company, you have to, you have to register your IP in Singapore. And when you register your IP in Singapore, obviously Singapore benefits big way. So getting to your question, it's led by the government and government-owned companies. So I, the numbers that I know, the Singapore invested not that much, like around 150 million Singapore dollars in research and development of space capabilities mm -hmm. applicable to key in the industrial sector. So when Singapore invests, they invest, when I give it to Singapore, they super rational when it comes to investments. So there are like priorities for the country and mm -hmm. they're going to invest only in things that benefit the economy. Uh, and so they kind of allocated this 150 million into very key industrial sectors. Agriculture is one of them. Environmental is another. So this is going directly from the government. And as I said, via government owned companies like ST Engineering. So ST Engineering specifically, they launched the first Singapore made commercial Earth observation satellite back in 2015. So that already happened. And now that satellite is, uh, I think, working directly with American Telco Verizon and a number of others. So this is already happening. Uh, and there'll mm -hmm. be one more program. I think they already announced this or they will announce it soon. Very similar thing. And R&D is a lot. So local universities, as you may know, in Singapore are super rich. Right. So like they receive a lot of funding and there are a lot of spinoffs that those universities produce. Um, and I believe that those are going to be in the next, I don't know, 10 years. I don't see that many like private investors actually invest in, in space tech. I see this largely as everywhere else. 
probably with the US as an exception because of the specs and, and things like this, it's mostly government, government-linked companies and universities. It's probably mm -hmm. going to be like that in the next 10 years. And the reason being very simple financial reason is just ROI is something tight, tough to, to determine, right? And as a VC, again, we, we're not, uh, we kind we don't have that, uh, such a horizon as governments and, and government owned companies who can't plan for like 30, 40 years, 50 years. Mm -hmm. We need to return the capital to our LPs in 10, mm -hmm. right? So we need to understand how this thing's going to be commercialized, how we're going to sell it, what we're going to do with this. And in space tech, because precedents are very minimal, still, we can't, we can't justify investment sometimes. Right. So that's why I think private investors are going to still stay away from that space a little bit because they are scared, uh, but mostly dominated by governments and, and corporations, big corporations, government owned corporations. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, if you don't mind, I, I would like go go further. It, it is like uh, related with uh, with uh, directly with the question that, OK, uh, the all the, this new space. Uh, thing is uh, really viewed, like currently fueled by VC money. Like uh, recently, we have seen uh, the influx of private equity capital as well. Uh, uh, but uh, the thing is that even if it's like fueled by VC money, uh, the sales uh, are always like to government sector, like uh, like uh, seventy five percent of the space data provided by. Uh, the commercial operators are sold to the governments to and the use case, most part of use cases for example we're looking at uh, at reflex aerospace and most part mm -hmm. of the use cases requiring a uh, high revisit rate high resolution and so on and so forth are uh, useful mostly to the governments and that's the problem mm -hmm. and that's why like i wanted to like uh, ask you if you if you see any uh, any how this might this might ever change and how and uh, in what perspective like in yeah like yeah as I, as I said I mean I think the only way uh, this thing can change dramatically is by reducing the cost of using right the the products of the satellites right mm -hmm. uh, now I mean there are a lot of forecasts about this it says it will gonna drop by like 100 times by 2040. So, so basically it's like, I don't know, basically every industry that emerged, like the internet, right, in the 1960s, that's the same, same, same thing. So how long did it take for the internet to become accessible for people and for funds? Probably took 20, 30 years. And space probably is going to be the same thing. So we'll probably see like the first easy to use technology kind of like, off the shelf things probably in 20 years from now maybe don't see this happening like <laughs> faster than this so and once this thing is going to be closer you'll see more investments flowing into this so now is just you know very rare examples of funds you, you mentioned like new space uh, that raised not that much capital but they raised some capital from bnex and a couple other investors there is another company that raised a bit more called Spectral. Um, it's a security technology, right, for communications. And uh, they received a little close to 2 million in seed funding from Golden Gate and Space Capital. So, but those are exceptions, right? Um, 
obviously no one knows it. Like it's like super brave bets. And in terms of monetization, as you said, uh, rightly, they'll be dependent on the government, right? hundred mm-hmm. percent. So that's unfortunately the case. Uh, big private equity funds definitely use uh, space tech a lot in their due diligence work and big hedge fund as well and private equity funds. But the problem of Southeast Asia, and I kind of talk more about Southeast Asia here, is that we just don't have those big funds in, for now. So it's uh, we do have some, but it's just not enough to build a company specifically with that market. It's just not enough clients, mm-hmm. right, for them. Even if they pay like millions of dollars per year, which they don't, uh, that's still not enough. So it's kind of a chicken and egg type of problem, really. Yep. I have a follow-up question to something that you mentioned previously, Maxim. So you mentioned that most of your LPs are from Europe, you know, around Singapore and Germany. Uh, And they're um, focused or they're encouraging you to, uh, you know, focus more uh, towards climate change mitigation uh, problems, you know, solving the whole climate change area problem. Um, So do you have any LPs from the Southeast Asia region and what kind of areas are they interested in? Yeah, so for the first fund, we didn't have anyone in Southeast Asia. So only for the second fund, we'll have some LPs coming from Singapore, like mostly mostly family offices and high net worth individuals. Uh, unfortunately, again, don't want to don't offend anyone, but obviously climate tech is not on their agenda mm. at all, right? So for climate, they're obviously interested as individuals, like, okay, tell us a bit more about climate tech. We invested in a couple of climate tech companies, but this is something not critical for them, right? They're not investing in VC for, uh, to make um, an impact, a positive impact uh, on Southeast Asian region. They're investing for their own reasons, like, you know, obviously ROI plus a lot of LPs invest just to gain access, just to get some knowledge on this, on the frontier sectors of, of, of tech, right? Just knowledge, just buying knowledge, basically. Uh, so I think Europe, in that sense, is a bit more advanced. For them, it's actually critical. So one LP asks us to do uh, basically ESG uh, calculations for our portfolio. And we have in, in, in our fund more than 30 companies that we already invested in. So it was a bit of a challenge now for us to do all sort of ESG metrics and uh, you know, provide them with a sort of report. Uh, but we we actually were one of our, we're using a company called Offset It. I think you had them on your podcast yeah. previously. So they helped us out a lot in this, right? So they had a tool that helped us to basically gather all the ESG data from all of our portfolio companies. And we could visualize it beautifully for our uh, LPs. The result is obviously horrendous. Um, again, but this is Southeast Asia, so our G score is not is not good. Um, it's mostly like male dominated, you know, companies. You know, it's uh, minorities are are minimal, are still minorities. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 pretty bad. But you have to good uh, you have to have a good starting point at least to understand where you are in the whole thing just to do something about it. Now that you mentioned ESGs, right? So I'm just curious how yeah. uh, how you guys usually at, at uh, Atlas Ventures compute uh, the ESG scores. I mean, do you have an, an established flow or do you just outsource it to other companies? And usually VC funds in general, do they just outsource the whole uh, ESG assessments 
to other companies mm. or how does this whole yeah, yeah. Application work? Well, in general, VCs do not do that <laughs> in Southeast Asia yeah. specifically. They don't do anything. There are big funds that because they raise capital from large institutions like World Bank, like IFC, they have to do it. But most of the funds, especially micro funds or smaller funds, they just don't have enough resources for them. This is very time consuming and sometimes could be a very expensive exercise. Uh, like go through all the companies. An average fund, a typical fund has from between 20 to 50 companies in that portfolio. And you can imagine what it is, right? There are a lot of, a lot of people. Yeah. You have to convince them to, okay, why do they need uh, to do these G assessments? Like what's their benefit? And uh, this is for, for us, that was a bit of a, that was a bit of an exercise, really. I had to do a lot of things myself. You can't outsource it, unfortunately. Yeah, there is. There are companies like Offset it. They're helping you to structure all the data. Uh, but uh, you receive a call from a CEO of one of your portfolio company, and he's like, "Come on, man! Like a twenty-five question uh, questionnaire. Do I need to allocate like a couple hours of my life to do this? Like, yeah. Uh, and why do I need to do this?" Right? What is the uh, what is a carrot in the end? Like, what is it? So what what I what I get from this? Uh, and you have to explain them the whole thing. It's like, okay, you guys probably can use it as a I don't know team building tool, right? Or you can use it as sort of like goal setting exercise so you understand where you are in terms of ESG. For other companies, okay, guys, you can access the green credits at the end of the day because it's important for you. For some companies, you don't need to explain anything. For example, for our agri-tech companies, they understand it right away. Uh, logistics companies, no need to, to explain anything. Right? Like we, we understand why it's happening. So all these things like electricity bill, bills, what kind of providers do we use, supply chain, we're happy to give it to you. And thanks a lot for doing this for free because you know, a lot of companies, so we're doing this for free for our portfolio companies. Uh, and if they were to do this themselves, they'll pay like tens of thousands of dollars just for this exercise. So we believe it's a part of our like small, but still some sort of value add to some of those portfolio companies. So, yeah, so this is very, was, was, it was a hard exercise, but I'm glad that we've done it. And it showed us, a, it's revealed a lot of things about us and about, you know, our portfolio composition from the ESG standpoint. Uh, we have to double down on that for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know it's uh, very unlikely, but do you see Atlas Ventures at any point in the future or in the far future procuring satellite imagery directly, you know, for your uh, internal use? Yeah, it could could happen. Like, it, I can see how it can be useful, right? It can potentially help with the, with the due diligence process, right? So instead of, like, making a personal, physical trip, which we do a lot, uh, during our due diligence, because for us, it's important to see the location, especially when it's an agri-tech company, we have to see it, right? We have to yeah. go there uh, and, and check it out. So this could be very easy way to reduce our costs of due diligence, for sure. But uh, we have to obviously see how, because every fund has its own kind of budget for due diligence. So the cost of services of satellite imagery should fit into that budget, right? Mm -hmm. So we need to understand, like, because, again, this is the money we'll have to, you know, subtract from our income at the end of the day. Yeah. Obviously, we want to minimize that. Um, so if we can save 
significant amount of money uh, on traveling somewhere or getting more accurate data. And if this is financially feasible for us, I mean, I do see ourselves using it and we'll probably will at some point in time to gather intelligence on company we're interested in, on competitive landscapes and some other things um, that we might need during our due diligence. But for now, it's a bit tricky just because of the cost. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's, that's very interesting. I mean, this seems to be like a very common um point amongst all users or potential users of especially satellite imagery because uh, even though there's you know a lot of cheap uh, or, or almost free imagery you know copper free. nickel yeah. there's free, a yeah. lot of free imagery available but the the biggest problem is always the frequency at which this imagery mm-hmm. is available and whether it covers the geographical area because most of the satellites current uh, imaging satellites are focused on north america and europe and mm. however, most of the monitoring needs of the world seem to be in the parts that are not covered, you know, like Latin America or parts of Africa and Southeast Asia. So, yeah, yeah these yeah. Uh, seem to be like a recovering point every time we talk to potential users. Uh, yeah, of <laughs> course. Plus, probably some regulation and, you know, some governments might be not super uh, enthusiastic about this yeah. thing because uh, uh, especially some countries neighboring Singapore that create a lot of problems, environmental problems around because of the uh, the agriculture use. I'm, I'm talking about Indonesia, yes, uh, that are actually burning a lot of stuff um, and creating insane pollution. And this could be problematic for them. And I know it's it's they're not be really enthusiastic about this kind of capabilities. And most of the VC funding goes to Indonesia in Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. Like most of the companies are there. Obviously in Jakarta, but there's still some companies outside of that of that city. So yeah, um, that'll be tough. But uh, again, as I said in the beginning, just let's give it some time. Yeah. Um, I think it just needs to be a bit proliferation of technology, and it always comes with a huge cost. But we know it's gradually going down, and the use cases are growing. There'll be more professionals available. It's another problem actually with this uh, in Southeast Asia. There's not enough talent for this particular space, just we not only space spaces, just we don't have AI uh, professionals. We don't have like cybersecurity analysts. We don't have game designers. So it's just not enough. It's not enough people, uh, especially in space tech. So uh, especially space tech is just goes without saying. And we need people, we need this kind of guys to be sort of evangelists, like just basically explaining how they can be used. Because for me, I have to do a lot of desktop research and talk to people it's kind of no one if we're doing the due diligence sometimes we outsource it to some firms no one's heard of satellite imagery as a source of intelligence believe me in southeast asia it's just not existent yeah okay that's uh that's a very interesting insight it's a huge huge market for you guys it's a huge market for you guys Um, what i was saying is uh it means that you guys have a huge potential in that region yeah yeah absolutely just need to make it very very cheap the satellite imagery has to be extremely affordable and then yeah targeting uh, areas that are of interest so we know ivan knows what to do (laughs) for business development next yeah the problem the problem is always the penetration in the region because uh, um, 
I was uh, like I was speaking to some people from like representing the Southeast Asian countries, and it was always okay. Like you have to move there, establish office there, and uh, it's still you know like very personal. You need to establish good personal uh, relations with people on site because without it, it's like uh, some. Berlin company that is uh, yep. supplying the satellite data for them, it would be like, yeah, like, do we need it? Like, and uh, so, 100%, yeah. yeah. 100%. I mean, this is uh, the nature of this region is the difference in cultures, right? So Asia is a high contextual culture. So in order to do business with someone, you have to meet them multiple times. You have to discuss their kids and you know, scholarship of their kids and, you know, doing all this kind of stuff, like dancing, whining, dining for like my many, many months before you can do something. Right. And uh, someone should vouch for you, ideally. Uh, that's that's another thing uh, versus U.S. and Europe in some countries in Europe when you can just do the business because you have a good tech and the team is solid and you have a good brand name. In Asia, it just doesn't work this way. I mean, Singapore is maybe a little bit of exception uh, sometimes, but again, even in Singapore, which is more westernized than other countries, it's still predominantly high contextual culture. You have to be, they should know you before you you come in on a personal level. I have um, another question based on what you mentioned about the affordability of satellite imagery or space applications. And uh, Maxim, can you give, give me like a ballpark percentage of uh, a fund that you can afford to spend on procuring these satellite services? Is it like 0.1% mm. or or any uh, other magnitude perhaps? So I'll give you this number. It's like, a, you know, like it's kind of, a, it doesn't have a explanation why this number, when this number originated, but this is a kind of standard for the region, for the, sorry, for the sector. Um, so we do not spend more than 2% of the investment amount on due diligence. So that's okay. the the hard stop. So if you, the, the average, let's assume the average Series A in Southeast Asia is like $6 million, right? So you can spend up to 120K on mm-hmm. everything, on the whole kind of due diligence. Out of the 120K, you'll probably spend, 120K is actually quite a lot. But Series A, you probably not spend more than 60 right now. And that includes legal, tax, financial due diligence, all other things. So probably for this specific uh, area, you can carve out something like 5 to 10K uh, USD um, tops. Again, it's just ballpark numbers, uh, but I think that's that's pretty accurate. Yeah. Okay. This is something you're using for experts. So this is like 10, 15K you're using to access experts around the world. Like you go to GLG, another marketplace and access uh, some expertise you do not possess internally. So this is how much you pay them, right? Like up to 10, 15 K for like, uh, maybe, uh, mm-hmm. three or four or five calls. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, I think we've, uh, covered most things about actually using, um, you know, space technology as a VC fund, mm-hmm. because the perspective I get is, uh, for now, as I understand, it's still very early. I mean, you guys are probably the pioneers in even thinking in this direction. And uh, especially in that geography, you know, in the Southeast Asian geography, maybe more funds in Europe or where climate tech 
or investing into distributed assets or into companies with distributed assets or distributed logistics uh, probably makes more sense. But but this is um, this is very interesting. I mean, we could also imagine the kind of timelines. Maybe it would take five or ten years for VC funds to seriously start considering probably I don't know investing into a satellite constellation to have for themselves and for space to play a very big role in fund management as such. So I, I see that we're still a bit uh, of time away from it. And also coming to this investing in space tech, yeah, it's also interesting that your LPs, um, uh, the push towards this investing in space is coming from LPs who are more passionate about mm-hmm. climate tech. So, uh, yeah. but that's, yeah, I guess that's more interesting to Ivan, you know, yeah. definitely give us more insights into where to pursue further um, yeah, actions? We, yeah, I have some 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 blitz uh, short questions. So like uh, I, I like the things that I understood is uh, really that, uh, for example, for these regional VCs uh, um, would te- would rather tend to invest into some application and also like uh, mentioning uh, er- mentioned earlier that. Uh, like hardware for uh, for the VCs is still uh, for for many of them is still a red flag, so uh, yeah, uh, okay. this is yeah taking into account that you have to ensure the return on investment in ten years, like tenfold. Um, I, I was wondering um, first of all. Um, uh, so do do you uh, envision that at some point uh, you're investing not only into like application like the services like that is treating the earth observation data for example but uh, also in the hardware and uh, um, is uh, what what are the barriers for this for uh, investing right. into this kind of uh, company yeah, it's it's a good it's a good question. I mean, partially why there's like not enough uh, funds investing in space tech is because of the nature of this being hardware mostly, right? Obviously, there are some byproducts of this or applications that are on a software end, but you need to invest in guardrails first, right? You have to build the infrastructure, and this is very actually very similar to infrastructure when you have a payback period which is super long, and you have the same challenges. So. Uh, for us as a, as a fund, we invested in plenty of, as I said, like plenty of uh, hardware companies just because we're more interested in a specific problem being solved rather than a business model. Mm-hmm. So we have a company, for example, called Axio, which is based in Singapore, which is in mining tech. And they create an IoT solution for just to get the data from mining and put it in one, one, one space so people can analyze that data. And mining companies and operators of particular mine have a very like fast access to to the data. So if something happens or they can track certain metrics in real time. Can you do this without hardware? Absolutely not. This is the only way, right? So this is how we overcome this. But hardware obviously is all the challenges there. Hard to scale, build too many factors that need to be done right for this to work. A lot of iterations of the same product needs to happen. You have to have a really good and trusted manufacturer. Uh, And we had a case when we had a manufacturer that they actually used 
they actually, in assembling of our equipment, they used fake, not fake, but used components. And we didn't know about this. Uh, <laughs> we just learned about this when we shipped this to our customers. And obviously, we're not super happy. So your supply chain should be done right. Your working capital should be accessible. Because this is one thing that also not done, not, not freely available in Southeast Asia specifically, is working capital. You have to secure certain funding to manufacture the goods before you're sold. Before those goods are sold, you can't pre-sell those. So, again, this is, again, as I said, it's a good question that dictates why investment space tech are largely government-driven and R&D-focused because hardware is hard. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of things needs to be done right. Uh, and it's very, very expensive and the payback is very long. But sometimes you have to invest in hardware for the things to work. Right. You have mm-hmm. to build those guardrails. Otherwise, you can't build any applications on top of it. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a railroad type of solution. Someone has to invest in railroad and historically it's been very unprofitable. Uh, yeah. But uh, without railroad, we wouldn't wouldn't be here now. Right. So. But speaking yeah. of um, speaking of, I mean, investing into hardware, I feel that it's a very long game, right? It's not, uh, it, it it cannot be bound by these time limits set by VC funds, uh, funding rounds, for yeah. example, because funding rounds, I don't know, they have like ten year or fifteen year yeah. periods, and you have to make a complete exit uh, most of the times. But when you look at, uh, I don't know, if you look at investors, people who are investing big money into SpaceX, for example. They don't invest it for the short term because, you know, the SpaceX shares are all over the place. They do it for generations to come. You know, they do it for their grandchildren's generation. They say, oh, this is not for me. You know, I have some spare cash lying around Mm. and this money for my grandkids. So it's, uh, I mean, these kind of, as someone who works, you know, with hardware in the space technology, you're right. Space is hard. Hardware is much harder. It's very hard. Uh, but do you see this kind of attitude uh, amongst your high mm. net worth individuals, any of them, maybe from Southeast Asia sure. or Europe or anywhere else, who want to do this, place these kind of long bets? Yeah, uh, for sure. Again, as this is, uh, as I said, like a lot of LPs, especially high net worth individuals uh, or some family offices, they do not invest exclusively to uh, to make money out of VC. Mm. I mean, they all kind of smart people. They understand that a lot of VC don't make any money right at the end of the day because it's a super risky <laughs> i mean by definition it's a venture right super risky uh believe it or not we'll have we have to explain this sometimes right so we can't guarantee your returns if you want guaranteed returns yeah. go to public markets hedge funds or some other things uh we don't do this but by investing in venture capital fund you'll have an access to frontier tech you'll see something mm-hmm. this is Basically, VC is the only way you can participate in space tech. Probably one of very few ways of participating in space tech. Um, so, and obviously, like SpaceX is a whole different story because it's a publicly traded company. So, yeah, you can put money in and then pass it to your grandchildren just to hold stock. Uh, yeah, you can say that you see, I mean, I'm doing this for the better good, but you can liquidate your stock at any given point of time. Uh, with us, when we invest super early, there are there are not that many ways for you to liquidate your position, like your your, your asset uh, early on. You have to stick with it for like ten years before it matures. I mean, you're mm-hmm. lucky if it doesn't die, right? Because again, this is always an option, right? You don't know where it goes. Yeah. I mean, it goes to zero, it could go to billions of dollars. So, yeah, I mean, liquidate liquidity is a problem. 
uh, SPAC helped it out, but in the current market, I don't see liquidity being sold at all. <laughs> yeah, that was exactly my question uh, because uh, what what are really the exit strategies for uh, for a VC for uh, this kind of uh, of domain? Because uh, okay, like we we've seen that like some SPACs, but uh, uh, more of most of them were performed poorly after going public. So uh like what what would be the exit strategy would like go in public uh going uh, to be sold to strategic investor or to some kind of private equity uh what what do you envision as like uh, as the best way to exit uh for investors into space tech yeah i think yeah there are there are really limited number of ways uh you can do this right now because it's a there is not a many if you're talking about trade sale there is not that many acquirers right so it's the problem of like concentration of acquirers they know that a few of them that dictates the price at the end of the day so you probably can't expect a really good good return so trade sale is possible but again historically selling a hardware company with a lot of working capital needs and all this can it's been really really tough so it's a cash flow problem so i see the only way that possible for space tech is being able to attract as many government funding as possible and become self-sustainable. And maybe at some point of time to file for an IPO and go in public via either SPAC, direct listing, or just standard route. Uh, But again, the trade sale currently, I just don't see this happening. I think the most popular one will be in the next five years will be just an equity hire. There are a lot of really good teams uh, building something in space tech. Some of them hold really valuable IP. And for many big companies like SpaceX's of the world that are already big and raised multiple, like this Finnish company, IC, ICI, or how it's called? ICI. ICI that raised quite a bit of capital. They'll probably just buy teams that are good, mm-hmm. which I would probably do if I were, if I was them, just to prepare for the next stage, right? So that's. This is probably something we'll see more and more. SPAC is going to be very limited. It's getting more regulated and people are fed up uh, with yep. this kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. This this is like very good uh, answer. Thank you for, for it. And I uh, was like thinking about it as well quite quite a lot. Has has there been um, any company that you invested in a part of a fund where the product by this company was used by other companies in your fund or used internally? I mean, I'm just trying to, you know, kind of see yeah. if investing in a space company would make, you know, a, a company building satellites would make sense for you because then the product, which mm-hmm. is a satellite image, would be used by you or the other companies in that fund. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good question. We do have cases like that. Um, so we have, it's, it's more kind of standard ones. So we have a company in Singapore called Genfi, which is a revenue-based loan company. And obviously, they provide revenue-based loans to some of our portfolio companies. Uh, this is happening. Uh, we also have a company in the U.S. called Opera Event that helps you to manage your uh, subscri- kind of an AdWords for mm-hmm. esports. And we have esports companies, esports teams that we invested in, so they also work together. Um, so we have cases like this. There's not that many, unfortunately, for now. But we're looking into this from this perspective, you're right. So we're looking at a company that we just invest in from uh, as a fund 
but we're not going to invest in, in this company for returns. So we're going to invest it in this company just to provide services for our portfolio. That's that's hundred percent. And we're looking into like potentially investing in offset for that exactly reason. Mm-hmm. Right. So just, okay, they're going to be servicing our companies. We're going to benefit from this one way or another. Why not to hold how to become investors in those companies if we believe in what they're doing. If we recommend them as providers to our portfolio, why not to invest in them? Uh, but again, okay, in order to make an investment, a lot of things could need to be done right. Again, as a VC, we have to check a lot of boxes, unfortunately. Like, and the box is like, how are we gonna how are we gonna sell it? Right, what are we gonna do with this? So, as we discussed before, that's why it limits our investments in space tech because we're just still trying to understand. There's no, it's not a vibrant M and A environment for now. For now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I also see it as a win-win, right? It also makes you, uh, as a fund, more lucrative to the potential company you're investing in. So, yeah. yeah. Well, um, it, you it's, have yeah. We it, uh, it seems like uh, you have answered most most of my most part of my questions uh, because, right. like, yeah. like in a nutshell, may I also like. Uh, um sum up what what i've heard like uh like southeast asia is not a very easy market for space tech companies because like the government funding is still relatively low plus you have the problems with an access to the workforce and uh, regulation as well in regulation as well uh but uh it's still like it's still growing first of all with uh using of uh uh, the space data and uh, like uh, also the environment monitoring, the ESG is uh, like is supposed to be a hot topic in the coming years. Yep. Um, what would would you add something to it as well? No, I I think you're, you you pretty much covered it. Again, we're definitely not the pioneers in this space. I mean, I, I spoke with some partners of VC Fund a couple of years back. They already told me about like space tech is going to be big. I mean, we're looking to invest in this. No, I'm not saying they invested in space tech, uh, but they've been talking about this like many years now. And I hear this kind of conversation over and over again. I just wish uh, that this translates into actual investing (laughs) at some point of time. And uh, as a fund, we'll we'll continue looking for for good investments. And um, Obviously, if I see something interesting and, you know, any good teams building something, just send it, send them our way. Sure, sure thing. Um, Yes. Wonderful. Yeah, sounds, uh, it was a super fun conversation, Maxim, and uh, it was really nice to also have like Ivan's perspectives, you know, from a business as well as a tech perspective. Thank you very much for all the insights. Yeah, it was insightful. Very insightful. Thank you, Maxim. (laughs) Yeah, yeah no and thanks, yeah, thanks thank for sharing you. your time. Uh, looking forward to hopefully some potential synergies in future between Reflex and uh, Atlas Ventures Absolutely. or you personally. Yep. And, Absolutely. Yeah, thanks again.